And it's how well can you capture the value of that ingredient throughout that process to ensure that uh, you get the expected outcome uh, or the response of that animal. So that's uh, precision nutrition. A whole new era of communication in the pet food industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the global pet food industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Trow Nutrition, the science of ingredients, nutrition, and blending. Learn how InnovaFeed's Helucia protein and oil for pets can unlock a more sustainable and performant future for pet foods at InnovaFeed.com forward slash Helucia. ICC Animal Nutrition, adding value to nutrition. ADM, unlocking nature, enriching life. Welcome to the Pet Food Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and all that's working in the pet food industry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Pet Food Science Podcast, where we seek to discuss current research and how we may apply to innovation in the pet and nutrition industries. I'm our host, Julia Pizzali, and today I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Dr. Neil Jaworski about the topic of leveraging expertise in precise nutrition for livestock towards companion animals. Uh, welcome, Neil, to our podcast. Thanks, Julia. Really uh, happy to be here with you today. Yeah, and before we talk a little bit more about the topic of precise nutrition, uh, do you mind telling us and our audience your background and how we end up in your current position today? Yes, I'm uh, Neil Jaworski. I'm originally from uh, near Chicago in the United States, uh, where I grew up going to the Brookfield Zoo a lot, uh, and that's where my passion for animals uh, came from. And my grandparents also had a farm, uh, a crop uh, farm uh, in southern Illinois. And that's where my passion for agriculture came from. So then I went to the University uh, of Illinois to study animal science, combining those two passions, so animals and agriculture. And then I uh, fell in love with nutrition courses, and I was good at them and enjoyed them. Uh, so I pursued that further, had some internships in the swine industry, uh, with United Animal Health uh, that also gave me more experience in research and nutrition research, commercial scale, uh, swine production, uh, that then uh, made me go towards a master's degree and eventually a PhD degree with uh, Dr. Hans Stein at the University of Illinois. And both of those were really focused on how does the pig utilize dietary fiber? How does the pig get energy from this fiber? Uh, and um, from there, then uh, I, I moved to the Netherlands, where I became a researcher with Trout Nutrition, uh, a Nutraco company. Uh, so I was researching feed ingredient evaluation for pigs and poultry, uh, and that's really my passion. And so I pursued my passion that I learned uh, at the University of Illinois uh, to Europe, because uh, the Dutch are world famous for utilizing and evaluating many different raw materials. So I wanted to learn all about that and get that experience. Um, and after a couple of years in R&D, I moved to our global nutrition and formulation team uh, because I saw this was the avenue to really apply the research and the knowledge uh, and empower the nutritionists and formulators 
that are out in the fields using that knowledge to uh, make the best cost uh, or the best formulations uh, for their customers, for our customers. And uh, more recently, uh, about a year and a half ago, became the head of our global nutrition formulation and modeling team. Uh, and that's been a great experience, uh, bringing the modeling aspect together with nutrition and formulation uh, to really drive uh, the value proposition that we bring to our customers at Tro Nutrition. Uh, really focused on livestock feeding, uh, but uh, we're supporting formulations and nutrition uh, for uh, companion animals as well. So quite a broad uh, topic going from a very focused PhD on dietary fiber evaluation by pigs to now uh, one hour it can be uh, the application of copper or uh, zinc in uh, swine feeds. And then we can get to a specific to uh, vitamin B12 application in a premix for uh, rats, for instance. 84 million times a day, pets eat meals with ingredients from Trow Nutrition. We bring together the science of ingredients, nutrition, and blending to unleash possibilities for pet food brands. Premixes are just the start. Turn to Trow for higher inclusion ingredients too, like proteins and carbohydrates, and highly sensitive ingredients like probiotics. With our palatants and base blends, you can feel confident about what comes in our bags and goes in yours. Learn more at TrowNutritionPets.com. Yeah, very interesting and a very impressive background. Congratulations. And I think you're in a great position where you can see the science from beginning, from basic science, and then you can apply and see how it can impact the farmers and the industry overall. So uh, very impressive. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about precise nutrition in this podcast. So a very broad question and maybe controversial as well, but from your perspective and from what you work with, what is exactly precise nutrition? Yeah, it, it, could, it probably will be controversial based on uh, how, how I answer, um, because we also have this debate in, in our team ourselves, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but for, for me, how I define precise nutrition, it's uh, the most precise. So there you have precision and accuracy. So how close can you get to that bullseye every time you analyze a raw material? And uh, then you put that raw material into a mix of other raw materials. So now you're adding error, uh, mixing error to that as well. So how precise, how can you maintain that precision uh, to uh, then uh, we also pre-discussed processing. So you also have processing technology. So you apply a lot of variation going from that one feed ingredient that you have in your silo to your complete feed product or your end product at the end of the day. And it's how well can you capture the value of that ingredient throughout that process to ensure that uh, you get the expected outcome uh, or the response of that animal. So that's uh, precision nutrition. And the way we do it, in at least for swine, uh, what I can really comment on, uh, as that's where my expertise is, you, you need to go down to uh, the digestible level uh, for a lot of these nutrients to become more precise. Uh, you need to be able to analyze your raw materials quite rapidly. And of course, that analysis also needs to be precise and accurate. Uh, and so down to the digestion level. And then understand how do the, the, um, 
uh, ranking of these feed ingredients change depending on different systems or different information that you put into the flow of, of that system uh, to generate your response or to get as close to that predicted response of the animal that you're targeting. So I'd say the major goal maybe is uh, uh, how precise you are in providing those nutrients to the animal at a specific different targets, maybe uh, to maximize good health or maximize future cost, or but is a precision in providing those nutrients, which involve all the this whole chain that we explained, starting from raw materials, correct? Yes, that, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, and I think you can even go to more precise on the location where those nutrients are available in the intestinal tract or or not available to different animal types or different ages. Uh, so you also, on one side, you have the ingredients or the feed that you provide where you need to, but you also, also need to understand what uh, species or life stage of that species it's going to, because you can understand that uh, a young pig is probably going to have a different capacity for digestion compared to an older pig. So that's mm -hmm. also, uh, comes into your precision nutrition as well. Yeah. So it goes even beyond uh, meeting those requirements when you think about dogs and cats is how the animals are utilizing those ingredients. It can be, it's not a static number, right? Just meeting that requirement for amino acid or vitamins is how they're being utilized. That's going to have an impact on their overall metabolism and I assume health as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, so you have variation on both sides and that's the, uh, the trick of capturing precision nutrition is uh, understanding that variation and then trying to figure out where can you reduce that? Yeah, I'll say right away, I think we have a huge challenge in, in the pet food industry because we don't know much about the animal requirements or the true requirements and have different populations of dogs and huge variability within just dog as a species itself. And we have a lot to learn on that side. So I'm going to kind of leave the requirements a little bit or animal requirements or recommendations to the side and focus more on the feed side that we can have more control at least. So in pet or pet food industry, if you want to start with a more precise formulation, you need to have a better understanding about those ingredients. Um, and it can be expensive to analyze ingredients on a very, I would say, um, a frequent, frequent way. So how can the industry start on thinking about maximizing the precision of uh, those, in, those ingredients or how much they know about the nutrients, how often or have you ever developed a model to understand economics and um, nutrient analysis in those ingredients? Yeah, it comes with uh, the variation. So you have to understand which nutrients are contributing the most variation uh, to your predicted nutrients or the more uh, important ones. So for instance, you always have your proximate analysis and that's the uh, cheapest to analyze the most rapid. So you can typically analyze those in most raw materials with a near uh, near infrared technology or uh, a handheld uh, device that we now uh, are offering. Um, so those come very quickly and cheaply. And then you have to understand what are you predicting from those. Normally the ones that you're predicting like uh, a net energy value or a energy value uh, can also be digestible amino acids or even total amino acids first. Um, so where's the variation coming from, from those proximates? And then you can understand um, where to focus uh, 
where will you get the biggest bang for your buck? Because amino acid analysis is expensive. You, of course, can't do a digestibility trial for every raw material that's coming through. So you also have to make predictions there. Um, and also in your energy estimates, which nutrients are playing the biggest role. Uh, so for instance, we, we have some cool work uh, done in, in swine evaluation with energy equations. And it's quite obvious as well, but uh, in your cereal grains, starches and fiber contribute the most variation to your predicted energy value. So if you want a more precise energy value, you make sure that you analyze starch and uh, fibers correctly and accurately, precisely in those cereal grains yeah, to get a better estimate of that energy value, if, if that's why you're utilizing it. Um, also, for instance, with um, uh, soybean meal, we see that uh, the calcium content can also uh, uh, fluctuate and have a lot of variation um, in that raw material. Is it worth analyzing every batch for calcium? No, because the impact on end feed is, is not that, that large for soybean meal in its contribution for calcium, but its contribution for amino acids is quite large. So it's good to have a, a good estimate of your approximate protein value and then uh, really understand the variation from batch to batch using wet chemistry for that amino acids. And then you can understand how do I reduce this variation? How do I try to control it uh, so that I have a consistent animal response? Yeah, I think as you use a lot of uh, animal protein sources in the pet food industry, those are highly variable. So there is a, a challenge there in most of those amino acids. And as you said, it's expensive to analyze and the variability is high in those protein sources. Even if you get from the same plant, you can have some uh, considerable variability that uh, has to be considered as well. And when you talk about ingredients uh, beyond analyzing for nutrients, uh, in the pet food industry, we still want to think about applied setting. We utilize apparent throat tract digestibility. Um, how do you see those in ingredients? Can you do something beyond investigating beyond digestion when you think about a protein that is highly digestible? Can two protein sources, for example, be both highly digestible and still behave differently in the animal or their kinetics or how they can have an influence or be used to better predict or formulate a diet? That's exactly, um, yeah. Yes, I think the answer is if you have a similar total tract digestibility of crude protein, for instance, uh, of two raw materials, uh, that protein can be very rapidly digested in the stomach or the small intestine of an animal, uh, or it can be the other way. It can be uh, very rapidly or highly fermented in the large intestine or colon of the animal, and yet it will still appear as digested. And we know that uh, the fermentation of protein uh, will contribute a very different response than the digestion of, of protein and amino acids that would occur in the stomach and the small intestine. Uh, so you already know there that, uh, that that is possible. So that is why on the swine side, we move to ileal digestibility of amino acids uh, to distinguish between those two. Um, we also have uh, in vitro techniques. So that's another way that I think uh, 
on the livestock side, we've learned from uh, the pet food side as well that these in vitro techniques uh, do give great uh, information about your feed ingredients and are another tool to help evaluate and try to distinguish between these different uh, scenarios. Um, uh, so, so, and also we, you mentioned the word kinetics. That's also what we are now uh, advancing towards and uh, uh, on the livestock side where we're not only looking at the extent of digestion and the location of that digestion, but now the rate. So how, how quickly are amino acids absorbed in one ingredient versus the other? And uh, is that good or bad for the animal? What's the response that you're eliciting as well? Um, also on the, on the ruminant side, this isn't also very new either because they've always looked at uh, a rapid fermentable uh, starch fraction and a rap rapid fermentable uh, NDF fraction, for instance, in the rumen. Uh, but they've also always ignored then what happens post-ruminal or it's more difficult to predict there. So, so yes, <laughs> you definitely can have ingredients that look the same on total track level uh, in terms of their digestibility and you will get a different response in the animal because it's most probably digested in a different location and at a different rate. Yeah, very interesting. And when you did this research with livestock, maybe can you give us an example how you use maybe kinetic understanding of nutrients in specific ingredients to better formulate diets so our listener can have a better understanding on how can I can they can apply do, this knowledge in the field? Yeah, uh, so um, uh, one example is when we have talk about gut health for uh, uh, pigs. Uh, there we want to limit protein fermentation in the large intestine of pigs uh, because this proteolytic fermentation uh, will elicit post-weaning diarrhea or will add to the post-weaning diarrhea problem. And so we uh, try to steer for more rapidly digestible protein sources. Uh, so um, basically reducing the chances that you will end up with more protein in the large intestine of, of these piglets. Um, so that's one way that, that we use it. And we, we have seen uh, in, I think, 13 plus uh, studies now, uh, a 25% reduction in post-weaning diarrhea when we make sure that there's sufficient quantities of, of what we call fast digestible or rapid digestible protein uh, for these piglets. So we could potentially, uh, beyond analyzing the composition of the ingredients, do in vitro specific uh, models or trials to understand the kinetics of each specific ingredient and consider these kinetics to uh, to formulate diets for pets if you want to maximize maybe gut health or any other specific outcome. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you could look at uh, uh, coat uh, quality in, in pets, for instance, or uh, uh, definitely on the on the fiber side, uh, fiber and fat side, when you're working with uh, high fat diets, uh, there's probably different types of fat and the rate of digestion of that fat uh, that would impact your stool quality, for instance, and that would be something you could steer on as a uh, pet food nutritionist uh, to formulate your your uh, diets. Yeah, no, very interesting and gives another perspective for the industry. I know many companies, they do a very 
um, focus job on formulation, but we still lack some basic understanding of even requirements, but also how we understand our ingredients and the, how they provide the nutrients. And as you said, kinetics is a little, gives a much, I would say, big picture of beyond digestibility. It's not a static number. So help us understand a little bit more about what's going to happen, not even during digestion, but also in the metabolism. I think one of the also challenges when you think about pet food is most of the diets that we have in the market, they are highly processed. Uh, so extruded diets, they're going to undergo high heat uh, treatment and also high pressure, which uh, modify that food matrix that we have, which is already highly complex. We have so many ingredients sometimes in one formula and the high, that very complex food matrix is going to be processed. And then we can change the biochemistry of that food matrix and nutrient interactions and losses. So when you analyze, let's say, the kinetics of specific nutrients in a specific ingredient, um, are they going to change after we process those? Or how can we better consider the effect of processing when you think about kinetics of nutrients and when you think about including new ingredients? Yes, they're going to change. Uh, the, the processing will change the, the kinetics or the rate of digestion of your feed ingredients. Um, same as that it will change digestibility. So generally speaking, you get an increase in digestibility when you process uh, of your nutrients and energy. And also in terms of uh, the kinetics or the rate of digestion that we have looked at, we also observe uh, increases in the rate of digestion of feed ingredients. I think it also can happen on the reverse side of things though as well, that you can overprocess uh, raw materials as well. And that will, of course, uh, maybe it speeds up the digestion, but the availability of those nutrients won't be as high or it slows down the digestion and makes them unavailable. And then they become fermentable uh, in monographic species, for example. Um, and the third thing that you pointed out was that you have uh, that's on the ingredient level, but you also put these into a mix and then you extrude the mix. And what's the interaction between the ingredients in that mixture when it's processed? And I think that is uh, really probably the, the next level because uh, I don't think that the processing effect for each raw material itself is additive when you have a mixed feed. Uh, that's my guess. So, so you almost need to apply a nonlinear concept or uh, yeah. so, something post-production that applies on the uh, composition itself, uh, on the ingredient mix, rather than uh, on the nutrient composition of, of that mix. So yeah, then it gets very complicated. And I think understanding that variability would be something uh, future looking for the future to really hone in on precision nutrition. Yeah. And even when we um, change ingredient A with B, you may change the interaction between nutrients in that food matrix. So it's, it's very complex for sure. But I think having a better understanding about the kinetics of the nutrients, specific ingredients is a great start beyond analyzing proximate analysis and understanding that. And I assume the industry could also evaluate the kinetics of the whole food, right, after we process. Uh, so maybe do you think it's applicable as well if you change the food matrix and everything, and then we evaluate the kinetics after we process uh, compared to before, as we have a huge impact of processing? 
Yes, yeah, that that's also uh, really important. So that would be very helpful. Uh, more information to to fuel that uh, that need that uh, yeah, understanding. Definitely, uh, we have uh, done that where we uh, we formulate a complete feed uh, for a certain amount of let's say fast protein, and then we're able to measure that back in in that complete feed. Uh, so at least we have confirmed that these kinetics without processing are additive. And then you're adding the next level layer where uh, now you process that mix. Is it just a factor increase or does it depend on what's in that mix specifically to get that increase? Uh, so yeah, that would be where I would start start analyzing the diets. Yeah, and there's a I think, huge opportunity for more research in, in pet food to understand ingredients processing and then the final diet and we should go beyond for sure just analyzing nutrients there is so much that happens during processing and that huge or very complex with nature is going to have a huge impact so there is we need some modelers and more data in the pet food industry about ingredients and about um, kinetics and what happens in the animal to to move towards precise formulation or you know have a better idea. Without data, we cannot, I assume, do precise population growth. Exactly. Yeah. You, you need the data and uh, the more data, the better always. That's what uh, our approach has been. Uh, we have never tried to use the in vitro to replace in vivo data or uh, other data. We like to use it to support or uh, go in a different direction with uh, in vivo data. Uh, so what, when you said they yeah. complement each other, the in vivo and the in vitro data, so to start developing those models for precise nutrition, uh, do you have to combine both? Do you have to validate your in vitro with in vivo trials? I think it's necessary to understand uh, the purpose of your in vitro procedure that you're setting up uh, and understand the uh, framework that that can be used in. It's the same as like a, a regression equation that Let's say you get a regression equation to predict the amino acid content in uh, poultry byproduct meal. And they develop this regression equation using 40 poultry byproduct ingredients, right? That's your framework. The nutrient composition of those 40 byproducts. And if you end up with a poultry byproduct that has a different composition than those 40, then you don't fit that regression line. So you're using it out of the framework. It's the same as the in vitro system. So you set it up within a specific framework and say, uh, I want to understand uh, the way we did it with kinetics. I want to understand how does the nursery pig digest certain raw materials. Um, so, I, so my framework is an in vitro system that's mimicking the nursery pig. And, and then you apply that framework in, in the nursery pig. You wouldn't want to try to apply that uh, in a different scenario or um, with a different understanding, for example. Yeah. And I assume different physiological states, if an animal is stressed or is under a specific immune challenge, can also change uh, how they're going to digest those ingredients and then the kinetics. And uh, can you account for those in, in those models? Uh, yeah, you can account for anything you want. Yeah, you can always challenge an in vitro system in a certain way to try to uh, mimic a certain scenario in, in the animal. 
Yeah. I think one of my other questions about those models, you can account for anything you said. So how can we also think about sustainability when you think about those? Um, we probably can fix sustainability to precise nutrition and how we are delivering the nutrients, but thinking in a sustainable way. Uh, can we also think about including sustainability or have you worked with uh, this concept when thinking about precise nutrition? Yeah, definitely. Um, so just thinking connected to our, our discussion about uh, total tract digestibility of crude protein. Uh, of course, the more precise you get on protein digestibility, the less you will excrete into the environment. Uh, so lower nitrogen excretion. And that already is uh, adding to sustainability or improving your, your sustainability. Uh, so the more precise we can be, that means the animal will get uh, as much or more nutrients uh, than it's excreting to the environment. And that's really, um, I think, the most direct impact that precision nutrition has on sustainability. Um, but now you can also think about life cycle assessments and uh, the climate impact uh, of different raw materials and also their country of origins and uh, the climate impact uh, from transporting that to your factory and then transporting it to your customer. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, a, there's many aspects now coming into play that, uh, let's say, impact your precision nutrition as well. So, um, for instance, uh, soybean meal from the U.S. typically has a higher digestibility than soybean meal from Brazil. And also, uh, soybean meal from the U.S. has a lower climate impact than soybean meal from Brazil. Uh, so it's also trying to say, should we steer in the direction of more digestibility and lower uh, climate footprint? And what's the availability of that uh, source and the cost? Because that also plays a, a very important factor. Um, so these are the things that now we, we start to evaluate in formulation in our precise nutrition uh, formulations, if you want to think about it. So you can start saying in, in one area, we will weigh uh, a lower climate footprint, but potentially have a, a higher impact on um, becoming less precise or having more uh, um, a lower digestibility value of that raw material, but we choose that because it has a lower climate impact, for instance. Yeah, and maybe in different scenarios, you're going to have different goals and outcomes that you want to maximize, right? Maybe, as I said, in one location or, or formulating for a specific uh, in target population, you want to maximize outcome a specific outcome and for other one uh, you don't and i think the sustainability can be tricky because many times we talk about is a qualitative assessment that many people try to talk about but you cannot measure that so we need to move towards measuring uh more in a quantitative ways what you're measuring is nitrogen is uh, co2 so what specifically is sustainability for your formula for what are you targeting uh, and I think that's going to be a challenge in the pet food industry to quantify sustainability rather than just saying more sustainable, less sustainable. Many, it can be tricky or how companies can bring that to, to the formulation, to the table. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it will be tricky not only for pet food, for also the livestock feed industry as well, uh, because 
Um, it's all based on uh, qualitative models. And uh, it's also a different unit of measurement. So it's something that we're not used to seeing or having a grasp on, whereas like the quantity of lysine and soybean meal, we have a good grasp on what the normal value should be and if it's high or low or um, in the average range, whereas the climate impact of soybean meal, we don't know what that value should be. So it's first, I think, um, we need to start using these globally uh, agreed upon uh, yeah. calculations uh, to get a grasp of those numbers and then uh, understand, okay, how do we steer our formulas in a certain direction? And then what's the impact of, of trying to do that? So, uh, and that would be impact on animal performance, uh, impact on the climate change as a whole, uh, and also impact on the supply chain. So you, you may see that you could make a, a really great shift in uh, reducing your climate impact of your feed but there's not enough of that raw material that you're steering your formulas towards uh, to make it work. Um, so it, it, it's uh, a quite a, a, a big process, I would say, that you need to carefully consider. And the, the final thing, and probably the most important thing, is the impact on cost. And most of the time, it will impact your cost. So that's uh, probably one of the biggest reasons why it's... Uh, maybe seems slow moving to uh, people outside of our industry or, or not so aware uh, of this. Yeah, and there's a debate about it, but it's sustainable if it's profitable. Otherwise, if you cannot make it work, it doesn't matter if you can decrease your carbon footprint or nitrogen excretion, but are you going to be able to sell it? How is also social sustainability? So there is many other, I would say, outcomes playing a role on what is sustainability? But again, I think we have a podcast on sustainability as well here. So if anyone wants to delve more into this topic, there is a podcast on, on our Pet Food Science podcast too. So go more towards that one. But for sure, a very controversial topic too. But we can think about that when you think about precise formulation. So I think that's the, the, the major point here. Uh, one question that I have, Neil, was about we are going to talk, we are talk, we talk about digestion kinetics and some can be one more the static number and kinetics is not static so we are looking at movement and rates of digestion um so when you think about protein quality many times you look at digest uh dias um digestion dispense amino acid scores which is a static calculation or number um so how can we when you think about protein quality only look at those numbers should we looking at something else maybe postprandial amino acid response or another outcome that you can understand better kinetics rather than just a number that is static and may not represent what's going to happen to metabolism and protein synthesis and so on. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's uh, where a lot of the kinetics research actually starts. It's in human nutrition with the DIAS scores. Uh, but the, the DIAS score is still uh, leading in, in most of those scenarios. And I think it's... Uh, Maybe it's the same argument that uh, was taking place when we were developing the kinetics is uh, we're not trying to use the kinetics to replace the dias, for example. Though the kinetics would add more information to your dias uh, or to support or confirm your dias score in certain scenarios versus other scenarios or uh, different life stages 
versus other life stages, for example. Um, and I think it's the same as uh, what we discussed with the to total tract digestibility of crude protein. You can have two raw materials that have very similar diascores, but for a certain uh, condition or life stage, uh, when fed to whatever animal you're talking about, uh, they can be more rapidly or slowly digested. And that most probably will have an impact on your desired outcome or the response elicited in that animal. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Chemin Nutrisurance is your pet food and rendering partner every step of the way. ProAmpac is changing the future of sustainable pet food packaging. Learn more at pets.proampac.com. Wilbur Ellis Nutrition. Make one call, find it all. Wilbur Ellis Nutrition, your partner for pet ingredients and services. Yeah, I like the what you said that the better, more information, the better. And information complement each other. It's not one against each other. It's both working together towards answer help help us answer a question or have a better understanding about a specific topic. Another part of precise nutrition when you think about human population, and there's a hot topping human nutrition as well. Precise nutrition is for humans. They look more into providing uh, precise nutrition as providing those nutrients more tailored nutrition towards an individual, not a population. And when you think about livestock, you think about population and under different conditions. And as we think about the pet food industry or dogs and cats as individuals as well, do you think there is a place or an opportunity to look into precise nutrition to target individual outcomes or to meet a specific individual requirements or that is specific dog or cat gut health or condition or pat even pathological conditions? Yeah, I was thinking about this morning when I was thinking about this podcast, uh, because the last time I went to buy dog food for my dog, I was able to choose uh, even uh, different breeds uh, of, of, that they are producing the feed for. So that's more that your tailor-made uh, mm -hmm. uh, formulas or, or breed-specific diet. And there, I think... Uh, kinetics uh, can play a role to differentiate or to help you become more precise in um, feeding the different species and the different uh, life stages that these species go through. And also definitely uh, uh, when you're targeting performing uh, performance dogs versus uh, companion dogs, for instance. So uh, I've got a German short hair pointer, uh, a bird dog, so uh, when he was younger, now he's on the uh, geriatric aging diet. Uh, but when he was younger, I would have been looking for something that was really uh, trying to boost his performance or support his performance uh, in the field. Uh, and kinetics, I, I think, could definitely play a role there. Yeah, and also looking as well at NIH, and they also say the future of human nutrition is precise nutrition, and they're trying to get information from the more number of people that they can to develop algorithms that consider that specific individual microbiome requirement, nutrition, environment, stress or events, because everything is going to play a role. And that's a challenge as well. And use um, sometimes research dogs. We have a limited, sim limited sample size and that environment is not the same as in an in-home environment that we have so many other factors playing a role. So I also agree that there is an opportunity there to investigate um, more towards precise nutrition in dogs and cats when you think about individual and 
the issue or the challenge is going to be get all the data, but there is a huge opportunity there as well. And I think if you work all together with the industry and academia, uh, different universities, you can move towards that direction and uh, help each other towards the common goal. Yeah, most definitely. And I, de I definitely will say uh, yeah, the animals are always uh, an issue, the number of animals, the type of animals, uh, the conditions. So in vitro tests really help uh, you get to more throughput. Uh, you can tailor make your in vitro system uh, um, to, to the different conditions that you're looking for or different breed scenarios, for instance. So uh, lots of opportunities there, I think, uh, moving forward. Yeah, and I think the in vitro is going to also be part of the future of uh, the pet food industry and dog and cat nutrition as we go more towards those precise requirements or nutrition or even the challenge that we have with research animals and the concerns that uh, many institu institutions they, they have as well. Yeah. So thank you very much, Neil, for your insights about precise nutrition. I think we have a lot to learn from livestock as well and from all the good work that you have been doing with kinetics and how can we apply that to develop better formulas or to think differently when you formulate, go beyond just the composition of the ingredients and apparent total tract digestibility. There's so much more that we can do when you think about maximizing an outcome or even animal health and longevity, which is a very, very hard yeah. say, outcome to target or to think about. We still have to understand that better more. How can you target that? ICC Animal Nutrition a Brazilian company with 30 years of history and present in more than 70 different countries, providing natural, sustainable, and technological solutions for animal nutrition, health, and well-being in a safe and scientific way, adding value in food production and helping to feed the world. It's time for our famous three. Tired of one-size-fits-all solutions that don't quite fit? At Wilbur Ellis, we're bringing custom back to the customer. We know that for your pet food and treats to shine on the shelf, you need to start with the best. After all, even the best recipe is only as good as its ingredients. From nutrition to preservation to blending and bottling, make one call to Wilbur Ellis Nutrition to find it all. We don't sell to you, we work with you. A true partnership to meet your needs. Follow Wilbur Ellis Nutrition on LinkedIn to learn how partnering with a purpose could double the power of your team. Well, one of my last questions are, for those who are more interested in learning about precise nutrition, what resource do you recommend for them? Any book or website or anything? Uh, well, I'm biased uh, coming from Hans Stein's lab. So uh, his podcasts are the best if you want to look about digestibility and uh, uh, swine nutrient digestibility. Uh, but the book is Feed Evaluation Science by Paul Moen and Walter Hendricks. Uh, I think that's a great reference to have. Uh, it's from 2017, so a, a recent edition. And there it uh, talks about all the different techniques you can apply for feed ingredient evaluation um, and also looking at the responses and how do you uh, get a consistent response in the animal or also at the be very beginning of our uh, discussion uh, this afternoon about um, uh, variability in your feed ingredients and on your nutrients, uh, where to put your money in analysis to get the biggest bang for your buck. Uh, so it's all explained in that reference. Awesome. Um, my, my other question is, 
as you work with precise nutrition for livestock, but I also have a dog. So I bet you think about how you apply those concepts for dogs and you're going to the pet store and seeing all those different pet diets. Uh, what do you see the future of formulation for, for the pet food industry or how do you envision that when you think about precise nutrition and uh, you using that for livestock? Uh, well, there's there's two sides of me. I, uh, I was also thinking about this because I think it's really cool that you can uh, buy these tailor-made uh, products for a certain breed, for for instance, uh, and, and different lifestyles. I think that's really cool. And as a consumer, I'm attracted to that. So that's and, and also as a believer or supporter of precision nutrition and, and trying to think that, okay, these... Uh, pet food manufacturers, they're really looking at my breed of dog and what are the nutrient needs of, of that dog. On the other hand, from uh, uh, the more practical application side of uh, of making all these tailored uh, diets and, and really customizing, I could imagine that it's also a bit of a supply chain or, or a bit of a nightmare. You really have to have a good understanding of your customer base and, and the market needs and uh, be able to forecast and predict that well. Um, because if you end up producing a lot of feed for St. Bernard's uh, out of your factory in one region and all the St. Bernard's are across the country, uh, then you're ending up having to ship all of that across the country or these kind of things. And is it worth the return yeah. of s- selling that versus just having your standard large breed uh, dog food, something like that. Um, so that, that that's the thing that I think about with precision nutrition as a, a dog owner and a pet food uh, consumer. And my last question is not, is not about precise nutrition or the pet food industry, is more about people's skills. And as you as a global leader in your team or in your company, in your opinion, what qualities define a good team member? Or if you're hiring, some, hiring someone in your team, what qualities or attributes are you looking at that person that you know is going to add value to your team and make them successful? Uh, I really uh, value people who ask questions and uh, especially challenging questions. So ones that really challenge status quo or uh, it can be the most simple question uh, that nobody has dared to ask. Those are really the the skills or the qualities that I, re- I really look for in a, in a team member um, because I think then it really opens up the team and uh, gets the right discussion going and uh, gets everybody on the same page because a lot of times it's those uh, simple questions that are the most difficult to answer and spur the most discussion uh, around the topic and get all the different viewpoints on the table to really make good steps as a team and, and perform well. Yeah, I agree. And I like a quote that says, uh, what we know is what prevents us from learning. (laughs) Because sometimes we're so focused on what the book has been saying for so, so many years, but we have to challenge that sometimes as well. And sometimes science tells us a totally different story and we need to investigate. But asking those questions is for sure where to start. So I totally agree with you. Cool. I like the quote. Well, thank you very much, Neil, for joining us in our podcast. I really enjoy our conversation and I think you add a lot of our perspective from precision nutrition and livestock to the pet food industry. And I hope we have a lot. I hope you come back here as well to tell more about what you're doing, your job and the universities as well. And thank you again. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Julia. I had fun. This was great. 
and uh, hope you learn a lot from the, the life track industry but also don't forget that we also learn a lot from you as well uh, so that, that's uh, the fun thing about leveraging each other's uh, experiences so thank you Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at the help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business. Thank you.